this is not wrestling. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast, where there are three different ways, starting at just $3 a month, that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content, at least one extra episode a week and often more. Not to mention the Restless Telegram channel that you'll have access to 24-7 to interact with all the other patrons. If you want more Restless in your life, this is the way. Go to patreon.com backslash the Restless Podcast. Okay, back to the show. And okay, Pastor Michael. Welcome back to the restless review of the TGC Good Faith Debates. Sun's out, guns out, or maybe not. Maybe we or won't. Or guns have. not anywhere. <laughs> guns hidden where they can never harm anybody, Matt. That's right. So, Pastor Michael, um, we, I mean, we had a great time doing the first part of this. And we, you and I basically just talked to each other. <laughs> And our live stream commenters for uh, roughly an hour to an hour, and we watched about twenty minutes of this debate. Yeah, we watched so little. We got to get through it, but it was way more fun for us to just chat. <laughs> I did. I, I have a an English buddy in town that you know uh, sent me his his displeasure that I could mistake uh, the accent for an Aussie, and so you know. All right. Um, I said, you're not sending your best. So, so it's not my fault. Who do you think you are? Um, I, we, I, I've realized that as we have the capabilities now for some minor like sound effects things, I need to start scheduling. I need to get the, the Mark Triscoll. How dare you? Who do you think you are? The, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. We need yes, to start. I told, I, I told our uh, patrons this morning on our Telegram chat, we had a, a short um, from you from our education TGC debate um, where you say Jesus loves illiterate people. And I want just that clip of you say Jesus loves illiterate people. And I want to post that anytime somebody says something really dumb. <laughs> like anytime I see somebody say something dumb, I just, you know, it's just as a reminder to me, Jesus loves illiterate people. <laughs> I, we're here to help. We're here to help. So Where? let's <laughs> let's help our patrons. I have a chicken parmesan sandwich because we are doing some nice noonday recording. As everybody loves eating while podcasting. <laughs> I'll be muted. If my wife is listening, please, uh, please just turn this off now. <laughs> so, anyways, we are going to keep going. Let's see how far we can get in this debate. Uh, that you made is that we need to protect ourselves from governmental oppression. And you specifically mentioned what's going on in the Ukraine right now and where President Zelensky is trying to get weapons of pretty much any kind into the hands of his people so they can defend themselves. And that would include fully automatic weapons, RPGs, Molotov cocktails, as we have seen in the news. And I think it's fair to say there's just there's probably not much of a limit in what he would want in the hands of his people. So. Uh, if we were to follow your argument, and, and Andrew kind of alluded to this, I, I want you to be able to make it clear and speak for yourself. If you were to follow your argument to its logical conclusion, it would seem like 
that you would be for Americans having access to any kind of pocket nuclear weapons, well, and at least <laughs> bombs, <drones>. grenade launchers, <laughs> tanks. I mean, so that, that does open you up to that to be prepared for either war or some sort of governmental overreaction. So, well, so I, I, may, I use that analogy for two reasons. One, because I'm curious from Andrew's perspective, if, you know, the, the, the weakness I see in that argument that he made is the more Christian the Ukraine was, the less anyone would be willing to take up a weapon. And so I'm wondering if, there, if, if you'd make an exception for national defense. And I think in, in our context in America, obviously, we've allowed the Supreme Court to sort of interpret that. And the way they've interpreted it in, in Supreme Court juris jurisprudence is to say that the Second Amendment protects the right of a civilian to own a weapon that a civilian, you know, that would have been the kind of a, a weapon that a, a militiaman would have, would have owned. So they've allowed for um, the growth of technology, but not for the kinds of weapons that we would have always said, a tank or a cannon or whatever, those kinds of things that are more of a clear uh, they're meant for a certain purpose and, and meant to be used by the nation in the defense of the nation. Well, he opened up a... All right, Pastor Michael, how is how's that answer? Obviously, you know, we would want people to be armed with anything they would need to blow up a dam if that ever came into... Oh, my goodness. To... <laughs> I was going to say, hey, if we're talking about, you know... Or are we talking about the federal government giving us billions of dollars to arm ourselves or what's the, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. We got to get what? off that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what, um, what, so this is, uh, this is the question. I mean, even the other Paul jumped into our chat, live stream chat really late and said, I don't know exactly what it was. It was basically like, I want my McNukes. Like, <laughs> Americans. That sounds like something that he would say. Yes. Um, so, so D, what do you think about his argument? I do think, I do find one part of it compelling. I think the, again, when we're get, this is why I, this is the big thing I'm really concerned about this debate when it's like in the Supreme court and the legal jurisprudence, it's like, Oh dang, man, like, and it's over. I don't know. You know, that's, that's where I just feel like, the scope and the mission of the church, we're getting beyond that when we get into mm -hmm. those things. Um, and maybe Bob Thune is, you know, obviously TGC sees itself beyond that scope, which is, I guess, fine, except that they're, they're not good when they, do, when they do that. Um, pastors, we are just so you know, pastors, you are not naturally gifted at understanding Supreme court jurisprudence just because people listen to you for 45 minutes every week. That's just not, there's no promise of that blessing. This is actually what I'd say, you know, as we get into this kind of debate, and we kind of said this before, is this even a debate that you should be having? Right? Hey, two pastors sit down and talk about what kind of guns people can own. Well, right. that's not actually a question for the church. It's, it's not. It's not a question for pastors. Now, I say that as a pastor, and I say that um, – while still holding opinions, um, some of them strongly held, some of them not as strongly held. And I have no problem teaching others my opinions and, mm -hmm. and sharing why I believe what I believe. I don't think it's wrong for pastors to share these things, but it's weird when you're speaking from the position of like authority within the, the spiritual realm, right? It, within um, the church to then say, well, here's where we're going to, you know, ha have or not have limits. Um, right. Now, when you're getting into details about specific like weaponry that people should or shouldn't have, that 
again, it's outside the scope of the church, but it's also not, uh, I don't think that there's a clear cut answer. Right. I don't think that there's a one size fits all everywhere at all times. This has to be the exact same. Um, I think this is something that has to be dealt with, with wisdom and applying the, the biblical principles that have already been shared about self-defense, about the preservation of life, about loving our neighbor by, by protecting their life. Um, those things um, need to be taken into consideration um, as well as then other, other issues of wisdom. You know, it's, you know, you think about this when you're talking about, you know, having nukes or having weaponry that can cause a, like a, a significant amount of harm from an individual. Um, on the one hand, if you have a people that is responsible and loves one another and cares for one another, it doesn't matter what you put in their hands. Now, obviously I'm not, I'm, this is, I'm talking in, you know, idealized terms for a reason to make a point. Yep. I, I know that the world's not like this, um, at least not most of the time, but like there are peoples that you could give them the most destructive weapons in the world and they're not going to use it on each other. They're not right. going to do that. Why? Because there are other things at play than just what can I get my hands on? Um, and I want to hurt people, you know, <laughs> like, and like, I, I really want to, you know, um, test out my modern weaponry on this poorer country so that I can sell more of it later on. Um, like there's a lot of, <laughs> not that that ever happens, uh, nope. but there's, there's a lot of considerations um, outside of this. Uh, but on, on that level, I think you have to say there's not a, like a biblical uh, philosophic reason why it would always for every reason be wrong for somebody to have, for instance, a nuclear weapon. Now, I don't want just anybody having a nuclear weapon. Um, I don't. I don't think that it's good. Um, I, you know, I don't. This is where on the more conservative side of the aisle to make the more conservative types of, you know, and libertarian types of people that probably listen to us more, make them a little bit mad. Um, the idea that it's all about your individual rights, right? I should, because I'm an individual that should just have free choice of whatever I want. I should be able to have whatever I want. That's right. simply not a biblical principle. It's not a biblical principle. It doesn't matter um, if that's what you think is your political right or something like that. Um, it It's just not the case. Um, think about it in terms of like, you know, when you share property with somebody or when you have certain um, kinds of, you know, I have a, I have a stream, a trout stream that runs through my property. There are things that I could do on that trout stream that are going to significantly negatively affect my neighbors and their use of that trout stream. Um, and that would be wrong of me. That wouldn't be right. Um, now, at the same time, I should have a certain level of freedom in what I'm doing. And if I'm looking out for the best interest of my neighbors and my family, both of those things, there are things that I can do that are going to benefit all of us. And then that would be okay. That's, that's a good thing. Um, and so when you're talking about, you know, the use of these larger and larger weapons, the scope of those things that you have to take into account are much larger. Right. And I think that um, because of that, actually giving those things, um, you know, in a, in a preferential way to those that have greater authority, as well as greater insight into a lot of things is, is ideal, right? Like that's better. So the, you know, the, the head of the tribe should be the one directing the military, not just any young man that just learned how to use a spear, 
Right. You know, like otherwise it's dangerous. Yep. The same thing applies, I think, today. That doesn't uh, mean that we live in an ideal where the governing authorities over us are like the ones that we really want making those decisions. Um, but I think that that's probably principally how we should think about this. I agree. I This is where I think a lot of Christians feel this tension. Most of us tactically agree with the libertarians, but what Pastor Michael is saying that principally we probably have to have some difference distance um because practically to use your trout stream example what the libertarians are fighting against is the government coming and saying like just so you know you can't build anything within 25 feet of this we're going to tell you we're going to stock this kind of fish we're going to yep, do all which they do by the way and it drives me crazy because i care more about this you know trout stream on seventh generation property than they do you know like i care more about it and so the inherent command like you should be able to do what you want with this they should stay out of this is inherently we understand why that tactically is something we're pushing why michael and others would push towards but as an ultimate principle i do whatever i want with this is not a christian that's not the christian ideal i think this is why for me last time i said this and i've realized it's pretty has become pretty compelling for me when I think about weapons or anything. If your ideal society is basically Mad Max in a post-apocalyptic world where you literally can have anything and you're defending yourself any way you want and it's you you against the world, if that's – like you don't want that world. The Bible doesn't call that a good world. That is a disordered, insane world. The thing he did say that is a good Christian principle – in that I think is a good argument, and, and he's using the Ukraine example, we all, um, as we all should, is the more Christian a group of people would become, it would seem crazy that they would be less able to defend themselves and their neighbors or become yes. police or serve in the military. That seems like a bad thing. And that is a good Christian point. Now, I, again, like Michael, I'm not against pastors doing cultural commentary. That's probably a lot of what we do on this show, quite frankly. We do, yeah. And, and that's why I'm saying I'm not against even them talking about this. I don't love that it's like TGC is speaking for the church. Here's right. pastors telling you what you should do in these realms. And and so obviously part of what we even, you'll hear us do this, is part of what we're doing with this one specifically. But oftentimes we are in many ways trying to disentangle these two things we are doing cultural commentary we are trying to show how christians can do that and we're saying things like yeah this is like just listen to how we talk about mars hill listen to how we talk about what compelling communication is compared to what christians do like these are these are ways we're doing it i don't say we do we're the best at it we would make a ton more money if we were right but but this is like we just need to get in our minds the moment you're like, we're going through the 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 jurisprudence, like we're way beyond a Christian people shouldn't be the people on earth least likely to help you defend yourself or run up with a medical trauma kit if something like if you are injured in a car because they've never thought about those things. Like that's not a good. That is not an inherent good. Um so all right, let's keep watching. We've already talked too long about 10 seconds of this. <laughs> Here we go. 
question to you as, as it pertains to national defense. How would you answer yeah, that no, question? Yeah, no, so I'm a, I'm a pacifist. Or I mean, that might not be the best best term. Whoa. You know, committed to nonviolence. So, yeah, I don't. I would apply it through national defense as well. But I, I think the reason why so much of my uh, presentation is, was not actually focused on that argument is partly because, no, I'm not going to win that one in this audience, but also partly because I think there is a common good argument to be made nonetheless, along the same lines, actually. I, I think, so I'm interested by that qualification to say that the citizen could own a, you know, a, a, a gun but not a grenade launcher. And, so on. and it just to tease out the, the principles behind that, that effectively you would still make a, a distinction, you differentiate, I guess, between yeah. what the state could do and what the individual could do. And the, the question is whether, whether that's consistent, because effectively I think that's exactly what I'm saying as well. It's just that the line I'm drawing, rather than being nation states typically are the people who use these, there'd be plenty of places where assault weapons and even grenade launchers are owned by private citizens and militias. Certainly if you travel in large parts of Africa, you know, in particularly where, thing, where the government isn't as strong, that would not be uncommon. So in that scenario, should Christians own those things too? And so I just want to know where does it, in, in your scenario, where does it end? Um, I think in mine, it, it kind of doesn't start. Wow. Okay, let me just say I'm no longer interested in what this guy has to say. I think he needed to start with, just so you know, I'm a pacifist. Like, right. I literally think he needed to start there. Well, and because, what people need to realize is that pacifism, like, as a, you know, as a I'm trend. Um, I'm it's, it. The Mennonites, they're nice people. The yeah. Amish, good furniture. I'm not mad at them. Right. But God bless is, them. God bless their communities. Like, um, so we're, yep. you know, we're getting in with the Amish community out by us. We love it. We love having connections to them and, and what they're doing. Um, they live because a lot of people have defended them over time. <laughs> and so, so it's just not possible on a, on a, a total level to have this. And what's, what people need to realize about um, pacifism when it's talked about, it's, I feel like it's become trendy in the mm -hmm. West um, for Christians um, but it's only possible for them to even think this way because of the the affluence and the the uh, you know um, defense of other like that the that there are others who are standing in the way so that they can have that kind of perspective so that they have right. can have the privilege of that perspective. Um, when you look historically in the history of the church, pacifism is simply just not a major view. It's not 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 in the Reformation, not in the early church. Pacifism, um, as a, as a general rule, is not a major view of the church as it has understood Scripture, because That's the it. Church, because the church likes Joshua. Yeah, exactly. Because God Himself um, commanded military action at times. It, you have to know it's at least not completely wrong at all times. Um, right. Now, I'm, my guess is this guy would say, well, it's the New Testament now, right? Jesus has come. So now all that stuff has changed. That God is a different God now. That's I mean, that's he wouldn't say that, but that's what you have to say, right? That's what you have to get to. And John the Baptist, when preaching to Roman soldiers, he literally doesn't tell them to quit the Roman army, which was a bad group of people. Like yep. these dudes came to your town and said, you're conquered. We are going to either crucify every man and we're going to kill everyone else. Or we're going to build you roads and running water. Two choices. <laughs> That's how they conquered the world, right? <laughs> and he doesn't say, you got to quit your job. You got to throw that sword in the trash. He said, don't extort people. Treat yes. them like actually do a job of defense. Yes. Actually. Well, and Paul said, what does Paul say? 
that the government has been given the sword. I know. Right? Like, you, how how can you possibly speak I, that way as a pacifist? And if we were living, and I hope this is his answer, and we'll let him answer. If when we're talking about these tribes and where there isn't a strong government, and there's the like, right, the Lord's Resistance Army, these all these like horrible like warlord groups. I hope the response is back. Like, yeah, I would want Christians there to own grenade launchers if that's what they needed to do to defend themselves. That is the answer. I would want them. I would be overjoyed if they were, if the the men there were able to defend their wives and children and lives from evil men who want to enslave the children. I don't, that's not crazy. Nothing I, that is, I, it's, it's the re- again what's problem the problem is is the way this trendy argument works it makes what i just said sound radical but the it's the other position that's radical no i mean we should just whenever they come through and they steal all our kids to rape them and make them child soldiers forever i mean like what else what 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 could we do like that's the radical position yeah um wow he he needed to lead with that and he's right. He's going to lose that argument in this audience because it's bad because <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> in the sense that I think that's what Christians are. I think that's what Jesus is teaching. So I don't think the Old Testament arguments particularly because I think Jesus is, is saying you have heard it was said, but I'm saying this. And in oh, a sense, it is what they said about divorce or many other oh, things. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard. But just remember, we talked about this. He just he is describing a view where Jesus abolishes the law. He is pitting Christ against the the preceding revelation how would have a jew let me just make one apologetic argument to this man how would have a jew if jesus was saying i'm here opposed to the things that were taught before how would a jew rightly have revealed to them that jesus is yahweh if he's putting himself in opposition to it mm-hmm. if that's his primary point sorry we got to keep watching i'll well this is this is but in a context where you do think some weapons can be used and some can't, I mean, so what, where is the line? Or is that just the line that it exists within the U.S.? And, and I will say, since I did, I allowed your question to be directed to him, I, would you mind answering that question? Where does it end? Yeah, I'll do the best I can. Um, it, what's interesting is we're really in the heart of political theology here, aren't we? Where we, we're, I was trying to make the broadest case from a natural law Bible sort of ethic, a theological case for the Bible permits us to defend other people's rights to existence. And I think the right to bear arms is a derivative of that imperative. Um, every, I think everyone would agree with the point that you made, which is that on a spectrum, we all agree that we, should, we, can't, we don't have a right to own a suitcase nuke or a, a drone, right? There are certain weapons we just say, well, you have to draw the line somewhere. And so I think what's interesting is it seems that every nation sort of has to define that for their own, they have to set the boundary where they choose to as a nation. And so I, I don't, it's interesting to me that I don't know how we can answer biblically the question of where where does the line draw. And so that's where I say, as an American, that's where the, the, the Supreme Court has answered that question for us in terms of saying it just it, it, it applies to the kinds of weapons you would have for hunting and for your own personal use, but not to the kinds of weapons that only exist for national defense or for a military use. Um, and again, I, I think, is that line arbitrary? Sure, in some ways. Um, so because, you, which side of the line do you would you put assault weapons? Uh, I don't know. I, I probably am ambivalent on that because I think that's one of the live debates in the American context is just do those. I know people who use those for hunting. I know I know people who would say those are only meant for military use. And I think you can make a case either way. Okay. 
That's good. All right. All right. Andrew. So there are many. Okay. So man, man, so bad. So much bad. Um, but here's here's the thing. He Bob Thune at this point is doing the thing he should do. We're gonna I want and at this point, anytime the man asks me about a detail, I'm gonna go, you're a pacifist. Let's discuss that. Don't like no longer am I even willing to be like. Well, what about the details of it? You're a pacifist. Let's discuss. Yeah, you don't think that any of these things should be had or used at all for any reason. So why would we even talk? You don't believe I can defend myself. You don't believe we should have a military. Let's discuss that. Like at this point, there is no, you know, like we don't need to have the doc. This turn into the documentary. What is an assault rifle? You know, with Andrew Wilson, where he he asked this question to people like I I, because. He doesn't know what an assault rifle is, everybody, by the way. And that's at this point in America, I'm just going to call it a made up term like that literally means nothing at this point. There is a real definition to it. But in the conversations that they're having and that I think in most people are using it, it has no meaning. It is a gun that looks like something I would find in Call of Duty. I think that's the definition which could be anything from a paintball gun. Remember that gun. meme for a while that was going around after USA Today talked about all the attachments that you can put on an AR-15 and, and then people started to take it and show all the like crazy things you could put in an AR-15. And it was just, I mean, it was amazing. It really was amazing. So do you, do you want to talk anything about this? Cause no, I, just I think- actually missed some of it because I had somebody come into the office here uh, oh. quick that I had to talk to, but, um, but no, I, I think you're exactly right to say like, at this point you have, you have said you're not even in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. That's and it. I mean, that's it. And at some point when we talk about weapons in communities, right, this is the difference between man's law and God's law. Um, and and again, this is this is a again outside of the Second Amendment, right? If if his argument is there's some level of weapons I'm comfortable with the government regulating, like if that's basically his position, you he doesn't need to then give every possible explanation of that because yep. actually when the government makes those kinds of laws, um, there are laws that are inherently inju- unjust. There are bad laws. There are laws we should get rid of. There are laws that are not in line with God's revelation e.g. a law that would prevent anyone from being able to realistically defend themselves with weapons, right? Um, Likely the taxation rate we have is above what um, would, uh, you know, we would think biblical wisdom would point to. But, But at some point, we are saying the civil authority, because they have real authority, they have the right to actually at some point just make a law. They do have a right to to draw lines. They have a right to set the speed limit in front of my house god didn't tell them what that speed limit is it doesn't come with the divine commands of god just like in a church example every procedure in the book of church order is not by is not does not have the role of the 10 commandments right when we have chosen to organize a meeting to run in a certain way we need a meeting to run in a certain way we need to agree on it it needs to be in light of scripture, scriptural revelation and wisdom. But it doesn't mean that those laws, those rules are God's. They all need God's emphatic, exact description, right? 
That's so good. And part of the difficulty right now is that we're in, and part of it's probably because of the polarization that we have right now. But a lot of that, I think, stems from the just total breakdown in in morals in general and trust um, in a society. Um, because of that, I think sometimes we're looking for, we need chapter and verse for every little detail of what we're doing. And if there's not one, then you can't do it. Well, that's a that is, you might think that that's a smart position, but it's actually a foolish position in the end. Um, what we want to do is, is as you're saying, apply biblical wisdom and then also have the, the, the uh, you know, natural uh, realities that we live in, the, the, the physical realities, the time, the place, the, the culture. There's a lot of other things like there, you know, I, I said this last time, I think, but, uh, you know, freedom is not something that, uh, a degenerate and irreligious people can have. Mm -hmm. They just, they cannot have freedom, um, which is why, you know, in uh, throughout the history of the world, there are certain kinds of people that do certain things that you lock up in prison, right? Or you, or you use capital punishment and you remove them from uh, the earth altogether because um, they cannot be left to themselves. Um, there is a kind of person, right? A, a kind of character um, that as you grow in it, you are more and more able to have more and more responsibility, which gives you more and more freedom. And we are always in kind of a, you know, different, you know, uh, different places when it comes to that, both culturally and uh, like on an individual family level, as well as on a you know societal level. And so um, what you want to do in applying wisdom, uh, biblical wisdom, and just understanding the practical realities of life is you want to try to balance your decisions, your lawmaking, according to those things. You're just applying wisdom. It is just wisdom. Um, and so to, to say, well, I'm a pacifist. And now because you can't give me an exact, what are you going to do with this assault rifle? Whatever that is. Right. Um, that therefore I, you just don't have a strong position. No, that's not how the world works. Right. There are going to be some people in some places and sometimes where it's actually not good or right for people to have assault rifles, whatever that is. But there's what going is to be places and times and people that can have whatever they like. They could have significantly more damaging things that it's totally fine because they are responsible enough to use those tools. They're moral enough that they're not going to turn them on each other. Uh, right. Now, again, that we don't live in a perfect world. That's going to break down at times. Uh, but that's that's what you're doing when you're doing some kind of political theology. You're not doing a chapter and verse biblicism. Well, look, Jesus didn't say you can own an AR-15. I guess I can't. That, that like that's It's just an absurdity. It's an absolute absurdity. We're sorry, Theonomist. Love you. Love to have you on the show. We can talk about that sometime. But, um, you, right, like what we're saying is you're allowed to make house rules. Like I'm allowed to have house rules. Because, right, I can just hear there are people in, when Pastor Michael says some people, there are places where people shouldn't be allowed to have assault rifles, whatever that is. Um, and people are just howling that he just wait so till I tell you there's some people that shouldn't vote. <laughs> like some of you shouldn't be voting. <laughs> I mean, our listeners, all of you should vote. Yeah. But generally speaking, there's a lot of people that shouldn't have the right to vote. But my two year old shouldn't have an assault rifle. I should be allowed. Yeah. To, there should be house rules that prevent my children from handling those things. Of course. And when you have wisdom, 
even if you have the right and the freedom to have something like a weapon uh, of some kind, that doesn't mean that, I mean, if you truly have the wisdom, you know, you're not going to, for instance, come into my house and find any of the guns that I may or may not have, uh, Mr. Federal Agent that may be listening, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to find them sitting on the kitchen table. Right. In fact, you're not going to find them in any easy place where my kids could ever get them while they're loaded. Right. right? Like you're not going to find that. Why? Because I'm not going to just leave out this dangerous tool for my kids to just use at any time. Just like every time I have a power saw going, I tell my kids, I, I show them and I say, look, should you ever touch this when dad's not here? No. Should you ever use this? No. Right. Like I, I teach right. them responsibility. I teach them the limits to their freedom. Yes. And as we continue the debate, it's not a party till the feds show up, as they say, you know, so here we go out there who would make the argument that gun restriction keeps the guns out of the hands of those who would use it, use them responsibly, not out of the hands of those who would not. How do you respond to that? It's unqualified. Yes. Um, given think, where we are now, yeah. I, so I, I think this is this is why I spent so much time, so so much more time talking about Australia than I did talk about the Bible. As, as strange as that is in this context, because I think, I think if I just I will, make the pacifist I, argument, I don't think it will convince anybody, and I'll just go, well, okay, well, it's a moral, you know, conscience thing. But I think with with the, the example of Australia to me is helpful because it's an example of a nation which has got enough culturally in common with the U.S. and which did have assault weapons and doesn't now and in which all of the results and outcomes I think we would want, if we're, what we're trying to do is to defend the innocent, and that actually I think you could, this is why I distinguish between defense and violence, you see, mm-hmm. so I think you would defend the innocent better by dramatically restricting what kinds of weapons can be used and how many people they can kill at once, even if in practice that sounded like you were taking away, I was taking away your right to defend yourself, yeah. I might actually defend you and your family better by imposing that law and by making it possible for people to give them back. Now, How would one imp- There's a big public opinion war to, war to be won there and all. War, that's an inopportune choice of words. <laughs> um, and, and also, I know there's a lot, there's a lot of history and context in, in Britain, but I think it's not dissimilar from a lot of what happened in, in Australia. And so that's why I just think that comparables, even within states of the US, as I said, let alone internationally, suggest that in the end, tighter gun restrictions are correlated to, and you could argue about the causality, but are correlated to lower gun deaths, not higher ones. So mm-hmm. although in principle, it sounds like, oh, if I, you've got a gun, I want one too to defend my family. Actually, if neither of us have guns, or if I put mine down, and you probably put yours down as well, and there might be a few miscreants who still have them. And that's tragic. And of course, they may abuse them. And they have in Australia. It's not like no one's ever shot anyone ever since. And they do in probably Britain. Will. But the overall effect to the nation is to significantly diminish not just gun deaths, but homicides in general. And I think that's a a very good outcome. So I, I just don't think it's borne out by the evidence of what's happened in developed nations when they've applied it. It obviously is different in nations where the state is much weaker and less able to enforce and where poverty is more rife and so on. But in Western nations, I think the comparables are, are encouraging for gun control. It seems like though that... Let me, let's just stop here. Let's just say that Andrew Wilson is maybe the most insanely post-mill person ever. You know, when, we, when you throw your guns in the trash, everyone else will. Um, <laughs> like it, that is the moment where Christ's thousand-year reign of peace is clear. Like that's the it moment all begins. <laughs> um, I so- also can I just say I I haven't you know I didn't say this last time I don't think but whenever you do this like well look at this modern example of something that's happened in the last few decades doesn't that show you 
that everybody could do this thing and it, it would never have any like unforeseeable consequences. Well, no, we haven't even lived out close to long enough to know whether or not this was actually a good idea. Not to mention all the variables that go into why it may work in one place and not in another. Um, But even just to say the, the very idea of chronology, like you haven't had that much time to actually see. What do you mean it's worked? Well, let's see over the course of 100 years, 200 years with the rise and fall of different governmental powers. Yeah, because it's even worse because let's say let's say we buy from him. America, Australia is a utopian, beautiful landscape of kangaroos and hugs and everyone's happy. Large spiders, large snakes. It's because they threw their guns in the trash. Right. Let's say that is really. He's really right about that, um, which, again, is one of the most debatable, like, his, as Pastor Michael was saying, historically, like, how similar. The, the, the actual thing is, what you're saying is, the problem is, and this is why we need to take God's law and defending the innocent and all these things, and we need to bring it into the world we live in, the real world we live in. Because let me make this wild hypothesis that even if we let's say we agreed that was the ideal situation. And I'm not going to agree with that because Andrew Wilson is a pacifist and is therefore wrong about these things. Um, Because Australia, it's literally the only possible scenario he can imagine that a Christian, a Christian could try and live in. But even that's prompt because he says we need to impose these laws to defend the innocent. How does one go about? imposing laws do you know how they impose laws with the threat of violence that's how you impose laws everything the government does is a threat of violence and pastor michael and i aren't anarchists we believe the government has been given the sword it has the right to at times threaten violence on your person to keep order to protect right to preserve the community but what he's saying in in the American country where the with the amount of guns that now exist in this country in people's homes, he is suggesting perhaps one of the greatest threats of violence. And I would suggest to you perhaps thing that would lead to such immense violence. It would be wild, like it would be insane. And so what I'm saying is, even if this was a great solution for Australia, the idea that we can undo um, what has been undone gun-wise, arms-wise here in this country is, is just is, – is is, it, it, it is, in my mind, a bit beyond belief that this yeah. is it, right? And when he says it's like, well, you know, this is going to take the, the guns out of responsible uh, law-abiding people, inherently, yes, that is what it will do. We don't know what its effects will be on those who choose not to follow the law. We just don't. It might take some out. It might not. Right. We yeah. just don't know. Um, and so it is just it's a bad argument. And as we were texting about this, as I realized this idea that. You just can't make this kind of comparison because you can't undo the culture, the amount of guns that are in America. Michael asked me this question. Do we have the current leadership in this country where you would trust them to do that? Do we have that level of trust 
in the governing institutions for this. And I would suggest almost everyone in this country would say no. Yep. I, I don't know. It's bad. It's bad. That argument would depend on the government having a vested interest in stopping that, at, in deciding where that boundary is. And I think for many people in the American context, the, the open question is, can I trust the federal government to tell me what kinds of guns are okay for me to own and what kinds aren't? Because as soon as I entrust that decision to someone else and allow them to define how big a magazine I can have or what kind of rifle yeah. counts as a hunting rifle versus a not one, I'm ceding a lot of ground, at least in the American context, that the Constitution gives to the people and to the citizens. Yeah, and that's why it's the, the question about how Christians should think about it. Yeah. I know I know this isn't going to happen, but it's what I think Christians should want to happen. That's the point. So, so I, and I think if you had a Christianized nation where people were people saying, I really want to know what, what does Jesus think about AR-15s, mm-hmm. I, I do still find it very hard to believe that people would just would go away with the Bible if they didn't have the, the Constitution in their background and go, hey, is this an area where American life has been more discipled by a mixture of history and, and opposition against people with accents like mine and all sorts of things in the history as well uh, wearing <laughs> actually no wearing red by large um but whether or not that's that's overshaped the the american narrative on it in contrast to people who went oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna read the bible and because even just war advocates across through history i don't think most of the augustine aquinas the guys you're quoting i i maybe it's a failure of imagination on my part i, I cannot imagine the sort of lethality that is currently possible with an ar-15 and Thomas Aquinas saying, yeah, I think you should have guys, you know, taking deadly weapons into church or, yeah, I think you should have, you know, I, I just, I don't think that's an application that just war advocates who made it so difficult for the state to go to war. They said you can, and I disagree with them on that, but they said it's so hard. The bar you have to clear is so high. I, I think that the bar we have in this country is very, very low in comparison. And I think that Christians, constitutional arguments and government intransigence and concern about state power, notwithstanding, I think Christians should not be okay with that. So am I hearing, I think you said this, are are you kind of challenging whether we're reading the Bible through the lens of the Constitution or the Constitution through the lens of the Bible? Yeah, I I definitely think that's a challenge worth making, but I think it's, I was, I think that's true generally. I think that's all true, right? I've got to do the same as an English person. I think we've got to do it. And you read the Bible through your economy and what, you know, what's okay for, what jobs are okay for Christians to do and those sorts of things. Um, I think we all do that, but I was making probably a narrower point, which is I think that the the concern about ceding power to the state, which the Constitution has given to the individual, to me is it's a constitutional argument, it's an, and it's right that Americans are having that conversation. But I think Christians can, to an extent, circumvent that intramural constitutional American debate and say, well, hang on a second, if the outcome of that is that we're saying that Americans can and should, and not, in fact, I think in some of Bob's argument, there's a sense, it's not just a, you're allowed to, but there's almost a moral imperative to own a gun that could come in and kill everybody in this building in the space of a few seconds. I I just feel like at some point, then Christians have to say, well, hang on, if that's where we've got with the constitutional argument, don't we need to take a step back and say, is that, have we prioritized correctly the two? I'm not saying that only Americans read the Bible through their culture and talk them. I I hope that I wouldn't be that naive, but I do think in this particular case, it's a, it's a, let me go ahead and suggest he 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 may in fact be that naive. He may I he's a pacifist. That I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again. Do you know can I just make a statement? Do you know why it's hard for him to believe that a just war advocate which virtually every respected theologian in history uh has, who's they've ever been 
Like, do you know why it's hard for him to imagine them supporting the idea to have the lethality possessed today, the lethal weapons of lethality of today? You know why? Because he's a pacifist. And he basically <laughs> wishes they were a pacifist. Thomas Aquinas supported the Inquisition family. Like, you can be, you can love Thomas Aquinas if you want. Like, that's fine. I'm not here to fight about that today. TGC can have a debate sometime. But, oh, I don't know if he'd want you to have an AR-15. He was like, maybe we should torture people to keep them in the church. <laughs> he was okay with that. The people in history, these people understood war and brutality in a way we did not because they did not exist in a prosperous, safe place like we did. This was a this was um this was much closer. They lived much closer to the line where that was crossing into their every day than we do. Yeah, and when I, he says, you know, I can't imagine in a Christianized nation that anybody would lay down their arms, basically. Well, I mean, we've had a lot of Christianized nations in the history of the world. Um, in the last two thousand years, we've had quite a few, actually. Um, and not one of them was a strictly pacifist nation. In fact, the strict pacifists were generally removed from those societies, you know? Right. The, and they the, couldn't defend themselves. <laughs> the strict pacifists were viewed. People are going to think I'm being harsh on them. I'm not. By the way, strict, this is like when Paul talks about being gentle. Sorry, I don't need to get into my tone. We'll get into that at the crossroads. <laughs> live stream coming in a week um when paul says i'm being gentle with you galatians he literally means i'm not hitting you like that's that's what paul says <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not recommending we remove pacifists from society but right the the i will defend them by the way yeah i mean if our government wanted to kick the pacifists out i want my amish neighbors i want them around i i like them and what's striking about that is pastor michael is being a lot more charitable to pacifists than virtually everyone in church history, Luther, Calvin, and like the reformers were like, no, nah, these people are so dangerous to society. We have to get them out of here. <laughs> they are banished or chased out. Like <laughs> this, this was the general vibes on, <laughs> on, on this perspective. And so I don't know, man, like it is, it's bad. Like would Jesus own an AR 15? No, because Jesus has a sword that, can will come out of his mouth and slay his enemies like jesus doesn't jesus is all powerful he doesn't need to defend himself it's just it's just weird and bad and and it just when you slip stuff in like you know could somebody own a, a machine gun that could you know kill everybody kill in this building in the matter of seconds it's just like well we're not talking about reality anymore i mean even with a, like a high-powered rifle um and large uh, large clips of ammo, you are still limited in what you're able to do. But if you've never like used these things, you've never practiced with them. You've, yeah. you've never used them as a tool. You may not know that when my children watch me use a, a power saw of some kind, it scares them, right? Like they're really scared of it. They have like, it's loud, it's noisy, it's sharp. It cuts through a board just like that. Right. And they might think, wow, I hope that thing doesn't come after me. Wow, I hope that thing doesn't take out a building full of people, <laughs> right? But because I've used it, because I've practiced with it, because I know what it is, I know that there are some limitations, that it is very dangerous. It is very dangerous 
That's why I teach you to be careful. with it. That's why I teach you to be responsible and loving in how you use it. Um, be guided by the wisdom of the scripture. Um, but in and of itself, it is a tool that can be used for certain good things. It can be used for certain bad things. I want to teach you to use it for good. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, it is. It's, it's again, I don't. It is something I just want everyone to, because you can only learn this by experience. For some reason, we basically think every single person with a gun is like a Delta Force level, like operative and user of a firearm, like that that they're like the most. This level of proficiency we imagine people have is is actually not natural. It's incredibly difficult, um, and it's just not a. It, it, it ends up not being a helpful way of even understanding what it would mean to control them or all these things, because we assume like, well, if a person has a gun, like, dude, they're unstoppable now. The things they could do, like, you can't imagine. No, that, and like most people who own guns aren't Marines, right? Like this is not, this is not normal. So. Yeah. And should we just say though, I mean, there is a, uh an emotional connection to some of what he says that will hit some people and understandably so because um, they see or have experienced the damage that a gun can do. And even yes. the like particular damage that something like a, a high powered rifle um, that can carry a lot of, a lot of rounds in it or with, you know, extended clips or something like that. They've seen that this can be um, incredibly dangerous and yes. it can be used to harm a lot of people um, to which we say we know like that. It's horrible, right? It's horrible that that happens. Um, the answer to that, historically speaking, has never been turn all of that over purely to the, the governments that are over you. Right. I mean, so, you know, when you think about the damage that has been done, I know emotionally it carries a lot of weight when maybe maybe you've known somebody that's passed away because of gun violence. It's horrifying, right? I mean, that is a horrifying and difficult thing. And all yeah. of our sympathy is with you. We're not being like crass toward Andrew Wilson because we don't care about those who have passed away because they've been harmed by these weapons. Um, but to take a broader view, number one, we want to do what's biblical, right? What is biblical? What is what is is uh, morally right? Um, and we also want to then look at history, right? Uh, I, I think you could ask, like, has more damage been done um, by the use of force and violence by individuals or when the sole use of force is given to uh, totalitarian governments? It's not even a question, right. right? When you think about the number of deaths in the Soviet Union or something like that, um, it's not even a question. And we know for a fact that one deterrent of totalitarian government is an armed populace. It yes. just is. That is like, because it, it puts more um, power in the hands of the populace. That's going to come with other like potential damaging side effects because we don't live in a perfect world. Uh, but right. on, on that scale, um, it does seem better. Now, what I would say is I want a responsible, trained, uh, moral, religious Christian people um, that has true deep roots in communities. Um, and those kinds of people, I want to give a lot of leniency to. And mm. I understand that as our culture degrades and has apostatized from any kind of Christian uh, view of the world, 
um, I understand that that's going to lead to a lot of damage because currently the tools that have uh, arisen in our country amongst a moral and religious people are now going to be in the hands of barbarians, right? Of, of wicked people. Um, and that is, that's going to cause damage. I wish we had not apostatized, you know, I mean, I wish we hadn't done that. Um, I don't like that. Um, but I don't think that the answer is then pacifism. That's right. And I just think that there is this, yeah, I, I think this is, again, it's a, it's a helpful thing to point out that this is why, um, right. Our call in this debate is not for everyone to concealed carry or have firearms in their home, that there will be lots of uh, individual applications of these various truths and God has called and equipped people differently. And people have with people have experienced the misuse of lots of things like this, um, guns, alcohol, cars, marriage, uh, right. Divorce, lots of things um, that may have an appropriate use in our sinful world that God has instituted them for. Um, and that, those people that there are many people who have a lot of pain around those things and we need to care for them. And, but we obviously, we don't want to turn all these misuses into to the defining thing about all of these things. Yes. But it doesn't mean a person who has greatly suffered from this misuse. There is also freedom in Christ. My expectation is not like get over it, just buy a gun, get over it, drink like, no. like those. Yeah, of not, course not. That's that you have Christian freedom to not do those things. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and seek to obey the duty you have to God in other ways. Right. That, that is, that is always an important thing to point out. And the difference is pacifism is not that position, right? That's what we're saying. Pacifism is not the position of differing giftings, callings of Christians. So do you think that Andrew has made a compelling case um, that the right to self-defense has limits for the sake of loving our neighbor. Uh, do you want to say anything about this talk about statistics before we go on? No, I, you know, I feel like he's uh, generally done a pretty good job. Um, this, this presenter, what's his name again? I, I always forget the people's Bob names. I'm sorry, everyone. Bob Thune. Bob Thune. Okay. Yeah. I feel like Bob's yeah. done a pretty good job. I don't think, again, as we said last time, the idea that I have to take these at face value violates um, my Midwestern Mark Twainian sensibility that there are lies, damn lies and statistics in the world. So, um, but all right, we will continue on to see if Bob thinks he was defeated by Andrew in this debate. Which may not include guns. Um, well, of course not, because I won. I'm kidding. Um, I think, obviously, I think his point was aimed at that third point of saying you made a distinction between defense and and the and violence, right? And I think that is the, it seems like that's the place where he's aiming sort of his argument is to say, yeah, we can draw a distinction between the right to defend one another, but the question of does that necessarily include guns and the right to own guns and the unlimited right to sort of, especially in America, right, to, to have no limitations as Australia does. And so I think that is, a, I mean, I, I think that's the, if I were making the counter argument, that's probably the place I would aim to, because I think those first two things are more, that, that's more fundamental to humanity, right? We would say, well, every human being has the right to existence and to protect their existence and, and has the duty to love one another. Um, so I don't think, it seems to me that what I was trying to do is to say that those two things are a little more 
uh, transcendent. Yeah. That last one is the question that I think applies in a, mm -hmm. in a debate like this. So he started out talking about Zelensky and, uh, and the Ukraine and what he's doing now to try and do whatever he can to get weapons into the hands of his people because of what's going on there, obviously, with Russia invading. Um, in World War II, from what I understand, reading of history, one of the Axis powers were very concerned about how in the world you would invade the United States because of how many private citizens owned uh, guns and ammunition um, how how does that part of the debate land with you? Because he made that argument. It's one that's circulating now. I'm curious how yeah. you respond to that. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think World War II is the, the closest thing we have to a, 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 ge a genuine war of good against evil, right? And I, I think probably most wars in history say, oh, there's, you know, there's yeah. bad men on both sides, there's good men on both sides. I, I think when you have Hitler and Nazism wanting to steamroll everybody, you'd go, okay, that's a, I think we're as close as we can be to saying that's a very, very bad man and a lot of very bad, bad things are happen to be in charge. But it, and so as that sense, it follows us, it's like the reductio ad absurdum of the pacifist position. And I think you, as a pacifist, you, you basically swallow it and you say, yeah, that might mean Britain had been invaded. And I might not be speaking German, maybe. I think the world would be, I have to trust the, the providence of God. I have, to, I, I have to ultimately say, this is exactly what Romans 12 is doing, saying you don't do these things because vengeance is mine. It's mine to repay. And I think in the Sermon on the Mount, don't, again, I think if you read the Sermon on the Mount and say, what does this say I should do with Hitler? You go, yeah, I think that means you might have to say, I don't resist. And, and, and at that point, you might say, oh, that's Sorry, cowardice. I, think, I actually think that it takes uh, a lot of courage to hold that position, but it is very costly and it has been. It's not... And the thing to bear in mind for me is that it's not hypothetical, even for people who lived in Israel-Palestine in the first century. They themselves had terrible, you know, they, we're talking the era of Caligula and Nero, you know, yeah. this is how they died. This is what Paul died, how Paul died, Peter died, these guys. So then and Jesus himself, of course, crucified, but, you know, and in a sort of, as an exa example, to be humiliated as an example of Roman state power. So I don't think it's, I don't think World War II is the conversation, I'm not saying you're using it this way, or you are, but I don't think it's the conversation stopper it can seem. You're like, well, obviously you had to kill Hitler, didn't you? And then from there we reason out to owning AR-15s or whatever. I think, no, I'm not even going to accept that because I think that in the early church, that is precisely the question the church had to ask. Is So, yeah, how do we respond to Rome? How do we respond to oppressive, malevolent empire who, who is forcing us to worship false gods and so on? And they said, yeah, we, we don't fight and kill them, which is, I think it'd be interesting to get to the Constantine thing, actually. But but I think that's one of the, in the era of state persecution of the church, it's fascinating that that's just not the argument the church ever made. So I, I don't, it sounds very weird in our world to say, let Hitler invade, you know, bring it on and trust it to God. And, you know, who knows what would have happened. Um, but also the question turns around, what would have happened if German Christians hadn't picked up arms to fight their French, Polish, Russian, British brethren? And so I think you, you can turn it on its head a bit. Like that All right, I am going to. Wow. Yane Air Nuance Pastor Michael letting <laughs> invade the UK is preferable to Constantine as the Emperor of Rome. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So one of the things, one of the mistakes that I think we pointed out, and we should just keep pointing out that he's making is number one, he's not allowing the whole of scripture to speak. He's limiting what part of scripture we can actually listen to. He keeps limiting it to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus point in the Sermon on the Mount is very specific. His audience is specific, and it does teach us how we're supposed to act. But you notice that Jesus never talks about, okay, you um, Christian who have now ascended into the authority as an emperor or as whatever. You know, like Now all of a sudden you have 
an authority beyond just an individual who's being oppressed by somebody else, what do you do? How do you act? Right? What, what do you do when your people are being invaded by someone else and they have weapons and they're attacking your people? They're burning your cities. Nowhere in scripture do you find it being said, let them die for the sake of Christ. That's just not what you find anywhere. Um, but it's it is a it is a mistake, um, an error of categories to say um, that the Sermon on the Mount in every place applies in such a way that it makes obsolete the rest of Scripture's teaching, um, or that it covers everything exhaustively that we're supposed to believe about moral action in the world. That's just wrong. That's the wrong way to look at it. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. You know, and I, and I think that there's a lot of people that have the, the rah, rah, let them come. Don't tread on me attitude that probably need to read the sermon on the Mount a little bit more, you know, like it, you don't get to be a brawler because you're a Christian and you believe that, that God at times has permitted the use of violence, but do you get to defend those under your care? Yes. Right. Like as the head of those under your care, you have the, the duty to care for them and protect them just as God does his own. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, when you're getting down to like, yeah, World War II, it's about as close. And and this is why everyone, by the way, we like this as the war we study, because it truly is like if there was ever an example of a just war in human history, World War II is probably, probably the example we would use. And people go, but wasn't war horrible? Should we have dropped that the atomic bomb? Yeah, war is horrible, complicated, messy. We don't, nobody wants war. But like as far as a war that was designed to resist evil, it's hard to imagine another war other than, of course, the one we keep mentioning in this debate, Ukraine, right? Uh, the like most just war of all time, of all history. I would not be surprised if by the end of this, they all they all, they all agree on that. What we yeah. can agree on is <laughs> God bless President Zelensky. <laughs> I would not be a pacifist were I living in Ukraine. Right At the end, they're just going to fly the Ukrainian flag <laughs> and pronounce, you know, uh, all kinds of curses on Vladimir Putin. So, and then everybody's going to just be happy. Yeah, that. But but the idea that like, oh, yeah, no, the way the way I get around this argument, because I thought he was going to get there and he was like, so he's like, but that's such an extreme outlier to the kinds of things we're talking about. We can't just always use that as the like example of use of force, use of violence. Right. I thought that's where he was going to go. But instead, he went with the bold like, yeah, so we should have just surrendered to Hitler. Like. Okay. And, and, but again, let's go back to the use of scripture again, where he talks about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, well, this is what the Bible says. It says, do not take vengeance in Romans 12. So we don't, we don't. Do you know what the next verses in Romans 13 are? Right after you're not supposed to take vengeance for yourself. It's crazy where it says four verses later in Romans 13, for he, speaking of the civil magistrate, is a servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God. What is he the servant of God as? An avenger who yes. carries out the wrath of God on the wrongdoer. Right. How does, in other words, how does God carry out his vengeance? It is 
ultimately, right before the judgment seat at the end of all time, that will happen. But also in this world, during this life, there is a way that God avenges himself on some evildoers. And one of the main reason, ways that he does that is through the civil magistrate. Yeah. No one in the Western world should dishonor their grandfather by not honoring them if they served in the armed forces in World War II. They quite literally, it is hard to think of a more like, and this is why we put this in movies. This is why we do all of this because the, the seemingly the the amount of verses in the Psalms and throughout the scripture of talking about resisting the evildoer, right? It's it's hard to have a picture of someone resisting the evildoer any harder than the guys getting out of boats at D-Day, right? Like, wow, that like that's literally like you going to the most intense possible resistance of evil that you could possibly imagine right and there's no one who should dishonor their grandfather whether they be british right american australian french right anyone um germans who resisted within the country right you know this is um yeah but wow all right we got we've got about seven minutes left of this thing we got to get this done go to constantine in just a minute um, i love that you're not <laughs> this is i'm <laughs> So you talked about you know what you you said it was this way and something changed and so we, we'll go there but i want to i want to take i want to pull in this thread just a little bit more you mentioned that there are weapons that can kill everybody in this room um recently at least in the united states that's my context there have been videos circulating of somebody showing up in a church or elsewhere with a gun intending to kill a lot of people but because someone else had a gun it was stopped does that seem like a um no, he's an argument for people to be able to bear arms to you. Uh, and when you said to you, uh, the answer is at that point. In your no, it, no, it doesn't. And I think for two reasons. I think firstly, I'm a if the camera was to pan back from that encounter with, you know, and it, 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 of course it sounds heartless. I've never been in this situation, right. praise God. And I know that some have, and there may be people watching this who have seen that or people close to them who have. But I think if the camera was to pan back from that specific situation to the entire nation and you said, actually, the, 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 the freedom to do this that applies to this guy defending these people when extrapolated to all of these 350 million people means a lot more innocent people die, which I think is what statistics at least suggest, then that changes the moral calculus somewhat, I think, at a pragmatic level. And I also think at a theological level, this is basically exactly what Peter was doing when he picked up the sword and chopped the guy's ear off is what the disciples were saying they were going to do. He was called down far from heaven. I, I think that when, when Christ engages with Christians raising that question, and it only happens three times, but each time it does, he's, he's pretty direct. He says, no, you don't do that. And so I think at that point, I think Christians, as we all do in many other fields anyway, is we have to choose the way of the cross, to choose to suffer rather than to take up arms and, and kill. And I think that's, yeah, that's essentially what Christian pacifism is. That, that's that's the that's my position. Um, I know that it's it in that one in that room at that moment. It looks like a very strange moral decision, and I would say I think sometimes Christian morality does. But I also think if you were to take the wider view, you might say, well, hang on, is, w would a, a European, Australian, Swiss approach to weaponry in the overall actually save more lives than it costs in that one situation? So. That's a, a more pragmatic way of doing it. Would it would the danger have presented itself in the first place? Is what you're saying? Correct. Yeah. Or, or would it present itself in more rarely overall yeah. in the nation 
than it does. I think it would. I think that's what the Australian experiment, as well as, I mean, you could use lots of European examples as well. It's just I know that, you know, we're, we're Europeans. We do, <laughs> we, do, we do things differently over there. But I, I do think there are, it would suggest that there's a broader moral calculus than simply what's happening in that space when someone comes in here with a gun. That's a very different thing when you pan back at a national level. You might say, yeah, some of those innocent people might die in that situation, but the le legislation required to limit this guy from defending them, if applied nationally, yeah. might actually save more lives rather than cost them. That makes sense. So uh, we've talked about Constantine. So I just want to say, in your argument, quick, like the, you know, we don't have to linger on this, but just to point it out again, it's this weird, almost some kind of like progressive theonomy or something where he says, look, look at how Jesus um, commanded his disciples to act while he was going to be crucified. That is Christian political theory, right? Like that is the Christian way of governing nations. That's not the way that you do that. That's simply yeah. not the way that you can read scripture well. Um, and apply scripture well. And I think that that's a really dangerous thing. And part of that might be the problem of like a pastor whose whole job is to deal with individuals in a local context and how they are to um, live out scripture's teaching. Um, and like just dealing with that and now being told, hey, how should the governments of the world deal with gun laws? Like, that's probably not your place, right? I, I've thought often, you know, I don't want to be, I've thought at times about, you know, uh, man, I, maybe I would be suited for, you know, some kind of local government or something like that. I've thought about that kind of thing. I don't want to do it. Um, part of me has thought maybe I would at some point. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of the idea of having a, like a pastor do it, right? It'd be if I was not a pastor. Um, so I'm not thinking as a pastor, man, should I run for local office or something? But but I've thought about that in the past. What I've really thought is, man, I don't like I don't like that pastors are like, you know, speaking on every issue and people want them to. Right. People want. Hey, what does this pastor have to say about, you know, the latest uh, the latest thing, who I should vote for, whatever? Um, well, that's not the job of a pastor. However, what I would say is that it is a role of a pastor to disciple um, those who are speaking into those issues, those who are writing political theories, those who are working in uh, in civil government. And yes. um, I want to be discipling the guy who is put in that position by God to make those decisions about gun laws. I want to be a part of his life. I want to be a part of his counsel. Um, but ultimately, like the authority that I have in that position is not, uh, I can tell you exactly what to do. Yeah, yeah. And let me just, since I've been making this joke throughout this, uh, what is a what is a compassion? I think the the pacifist is always kind of pseudoly making this argument i'm the really compassionate one i think you are the man walking by the injured uh you are the you are the person walking by the man mugged by the robbers because you are saying well if someone walked into a church with a gun i mean we just have to let it happen there's nothing we can do but you're saying, but on a broad level, we have this duty on this broad level, but, but there's a need right in front of me. I need to like, you've, you've removed this like concrete, do something like as to a specific situation to this broad programmatic thing, right? My ideology is compassionate. It, 
I does not allow me to ever actually defend anyone around me if they were in need. Right. Like if we, again, right. It's this idea of like, you know, we should help the poor. Well, I'm just never going to talk to them. I don't want to be involved with that. I think there should be big programmatic things that do that. We wouldn't describe that person as compassionate. Like even if there was some truth in the programs, they might be recommending. If they're like, I'm not involved. I will not be involved in any of that. That's not a, um, that's, that's not compassion. Also the Europeans, as much as they like to do things differently, they are not operating in a system of pacifism. Many of their police carry assault weapons, whatever those are, right? In in the streets, patrolling the streets. So it means their system is held up by a threat of violence. And and should and what the what he really at this point wants his debate is he wants an exclusive government monopoly on the right to defend anyone that's really what he's arguing for because he thinks that allows him to live as a pacifist but he's but to do that he's actually accepting a system held up by the violence of a few right that's really what he's and that arguing. actually again historically has caused far more death than individuals who have a right to bear arms it like just again statistically if we want to play that game um that's that's the reality All right, let's get through the last five minutes of this and get out of here. That, that indeed, in from what you're reading, the first 300 years of Christianity, their view, if I'm hearing you right, would have aligned more yep. with Andrew's view. What yep. changed? Well, I mean, there's two ways of reading it, or probably more than two ways of reading it, right? The, the cynical way of reading it is, well, Constantine came to power. Now Christianity has the power of the state behind it, and so we need Christians to serve in the military. We need, Christ, you know, like we need Christians to be in the army, and so pacifism needs to go away, and we have to make a new case. And, and I think that's a, one way of reading it. Um, I think that's a cynical way of reading it. I suspect that, I mean, it's the same thing that we would say, like, correlation doesn't equal causation, right? So there are other factors going on. One of the things I think is interesting is, in those first 300 years of the early church, one, uh, the church um, is still growing through the Roman Empire, and two, it's really a one-world empire, right? I mean, I mean, Rome is the empire, and so you don't have individual nation states. You don't have Christianity all over the world yet. It's still early in the in the life of the church, and so the the main thing the church is dealing with is Rome, and so the question of if my own government is oppressing me for being a Christian, if I have to go uh, become a martyr for the profession of the name of Christ, should I do that? Absolutely. Uh, that that so that's the question I think that they're answering in the first 300 years of the church. I don't think they're having to answer the question um, if my neighbor is under threat of grave attack from someone other than the government, right? Um, or what about you know is it okay for my neighbor to serve in the army if it's not the Roman army that has been oppressing us and the same people that put Jesus on the cross? But if we're talking about uh, the, the ongoing progress of history, so I think it's interesting that um, certainly you could say Constantine coming to power is the thing that changed the argument. But I think that's a too simplistic way of reading it because it's interesting to me that since then in history, from Augustine to Luther to, to many, many right uh, Protestant um, and, and broader Christian exegetes in, in various places throughout the world since Constantine, many of them have made the argument that Christians should be able to serve in good conscience in the military or in, as police officers or whatever. I, I do respect, I think the Christian pacifism is a really respectable position and primarily because it is a hard position to hold and to defend when you look at things like Hitler. It's hard, it's, it's hard for him to have to be in the chair and say, 
Yeah, actually, my position would say we should have let Hitler take over the world. I, that's a, I mean, I respect a man who's willing to have the conviction to say that's what, how I read the scriptures, would, would, what, what it would lead me to say. And I think that's the very reason why um, in the history of the church, sort of broadly speaking, the more magisterial Protestant tradition has generally said, um, you know, it goes back to sort of Luther's vision of the two kingdoms, right? That there's, there's what Christians are to do as Christians, and then there's what Christians are to do as, as citizens of a society, and that there's a distinction to be made there. And I think he made it most clearly, but I think he's just sort of doing the same work Augustine did in the, in the fourth century. So if there were World War III, and, and I don't know how old we all are and who's eligible or whatever, but like, would your conscience prevent you? Was that from... an implication that I'm no, too old to fight? Right? I guess it, 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 Okay, I'm 42. Um, So if there was a scenario where we were called to support our country, would your conscience prevent you from... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and to be honest, lots of people would who don't even hold to Christian values. That's fair. That's fair. Well, we have about five minutes left, and one of the things that I appreciate about you two uh, is that you're really not shooting at at each other, pun intended. I mean, you you appreciate each each other, and I I appreciate the way that you've argued this. You have people to your flanks that would have more, uh, not only more extreme views, but a less congenial and charitable way of communicating them. So I want to finish by just asking, in your opinion, what is the most compelling part of your opponent's view? I think the most compelling part of Andrew's view is twofold. One, I don't think you can argue statistically that the prevalence of guns leads to a greater prevalence of violence. And so I think the question of how should a Christian feel about that and what would a Christian response to that be is the most important question. Uh, and I think that you're, the distinctions you made between the importance of defense and the, and the question of should it be violent defense is a, is a great question and a great distinction to be made. And I think the best part of Bob's argument actually is the point he was making just a, a moment or two ago about the, the church tradition since Constantine in that, uh, you know, I, obviously people like me are going to play the early church card, but I think if, if, I, if, if I was to be found out I was wrong, or like, what would be the tell argument that I found? Ah, oh, yeah, I should have seen that all along. It would be that pretty, you know, pretty much from 400 to 16, 1700 until, until the Anabaptists, really, there was a lo- almost uncontested church witness on the legitimacy of violence. Now, I'm, I'm talking amongst Baptists, uh, so we may not be particularly persuaded by that from that angle, but I actually feel the same about baptism too. If I was finding out I was wrong about that, I'd think, yeah, it's because these guys... Well, so I think that's probably the bit that makes me go, I'm saying a lot of very, very smart, godly people are wrong, and that gives me pause. Uh, I still think they are, otherwise I wouldn't be here, but but that's probably the bit where when, when you raise it, I think, yeah, that is... I wish a few more of those guys were on my side. Let's put it that way. Well, I want to say as we finish... All right, they're finishing. So... Pastor Michael, let's let's talk about history for two minutes as we leave. Man, oh man, dude, it's fascinating. What would it take to prove me wrong? The exact thing that's exactly true that virtually right. all of church history is against you on this position. Yeah, <laughs> it's also whenever you look at the first three hundred years, say, well, let's just number one, hey, just the first three hundred years. I um, mean, obviously the reason is Constantine, but it still feels a little bit arbitrary. Um, why does why does the fact that all of a sudden Constantine is in power change whether or not we can trust the Christians that are writing and applying scriptural wisdom during that time? If right. anything, you should actually say this is the first time in the Roman Empire or one of the first times that you have the opportunity for Christians to think biblically in this way. And exactly. so to, to limit it in that way already, it, it just 
it it presupposes certain things that you have not actually yet proven. Yeah, and then um, it oh. also, like he's Amy even pointed out, but if all you're doing is, hey, well, what did the first 300 years say? Well, there's a whole lot of what your, your uh, you know, Anabaptist church does that is not going to work. You know, like if that's your only criteria, then you're going to fall apart pretty quickly. Right. I mean, man, the idea that you and the pacifists are better scholars of the patristics than St. Augustine, John Calvin, Martin Luther, every Thomas Aquinas, every other figure in every possible theological tradition of church history is an insane, is a historically insane position, whether you're right or wrong. But apparently that's the person, the thing he needs to be persuaded of. And do you understand, like, man, it, there is so much historical mythology, like, the thing I actually that drives me crazy about the Constantine is the thing we need to talk about is we are just enforcing every weird historical mythology about how Christianity worked. Right. I have not read all the patristics. I'm not a patristic scholar, not like the eminent Andrew Wilson, I guess. Um, um, I don't know if I've ever read them discussing um, like, specific military service. I don't know if that was a focus of their writing. Um, however, but if you think about this idea of like, okay, let's say everything changed with Constantine, right? He's saying, well, everything changed with Constantine for the worse. What if everything changed with Constantine because now we can serve in government or in the military because it's not now an inherently idolatrous activity. Like there, it, there, we could say there is a change, right? That 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 connection to military life is different. Also, of course, the other thing is is that the 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 church fathers need to be allowed to be themselves, and they need to be allowed to exist in the time and place that they exist in. They aren't like us. They don't agree with us on a lot of things. They're different than us. They care about different things, and the idea that they are going to think or act like me in many ways, right? What's, what's amazing about the church fathers is not that they are pristine Christianity, perfectly articulated. It's that with most of them never seeing an entire new Testament altogether, they were able to do the theology and conclude the things they did. That's what's incredible about them. Not that they were without error or perfect, but that somehow they are better theologians than most people who have 20 copies of the Bible in their house. That's what's incredible about the church fathers. That's the reason they deserve the, um, the benefit of the doubt, the honor, the preferential treatment they're given. Um, and it's just, it's weird, right? And this idea, I think it is very weird to take Christian martyrdom, and maybe we can talk about this and leave. This idea that Christian martyrdom is the proof of, of pacifism. Man, the and I think Bob Thune even mentioned this, right? This idea that like when they say you you always must die, you should die before denying the faith. That is not an inherently, that's not a that does not deduce into pacifism, right? It's saying that above all else, I should always be willing to die rather than deny Christ and making that demand on people 
is different than making the demand you may never defend yourself or others or fight in a just war. Yeah, right? or you it's always very... have to be a martyr, period, no matter what, um, which is why we know that Paul, every time, gave himself up to the authorities to be, right. wait, wait a minute. No, he didn't. Sometimes, Jesus, not always. Either. Jesus yep. fled. Jesus That's is right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's good. I think uh, that uh, we've covered, I mean, we've covered so much. Um, I will, you know, on that point, just say also, like, I mean, if you asked, just just play the little experiment in your head. Um, if you asked the early martyrs of the faith, do you think that they would say, wow, I hope every Christian experiences this? Because I don't think so. I think that they would probably say, uh, I'm willing to do this for my savior. Um, I hope this doesn't happen to everybody else in my church and everybody else in the next generation and all of my family and all of my kids. Um, I'm willing to give up everything for Christ. And I pray that they don't have to be put in the position where they lose their lives too. I assume that that's probably more the mindset that most of them have. Um, and and I think to be a consistent pacifist, and especially to think that they were consistent pacifists, you have to say, no, they would prefer everybody goes through this. And, and in fact, there was even, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get us out of here, but there was a group of Christians who started seeking martyrdom. Yeah. Like they started right. seeking out because the church so honored martyrs because yes. of course they could. So people started seeking it out. And do you know what the church did? No, you can't do that. You can't seek out martyrdom. That's wrong. We preserve our lives. We preserve lives when we're able to. But it. But the line was, right, we have Justin Martyr who, who tried to defend the Christian faith in all the ways he could. He used philosophical proofs, right? He did all these kinds of things to try and explain to the Romans why the Christians were not, um, should not experience the like, the, 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 um, martyrdom the imprisonment all the penalties they were facing and he made and he kind of made he was kind of known he was kind of he kind of fancied he talked his way out of a lot of uh a lot of times where he could have been in trouble right but the line was he knew and apparently it was just well known in the early church was if you are ever directly asked if jesus christ is your lord if he's the son of god you must always affirm it and and when he did that he became a martyr Right. And so they there wasn't there was even an idea of like, if they don't ask you that question, then get out of it. Right. It wasn't give up everything. Tell give every name of everyone in the church. It was <laughs> right. Right. Per, we do preserve life. We do preserve our copies of the scriptures, which are so hard for us to come by. But most of all, above life, above liberty, above the pursuit of happiness. We preserve allegiance to Jesus Christ and above pacifism. We preserve allegiance to Jesus above looking compassionate to others. Pastor Michael, we made it through this debate. Finally, this was this was too long. It was it was too much, and that was our fault. But man, it was rough. Our bad. We love you all. Join us next Monday. We will not be discussing this or another debate. We will be having a live stream party 250k downloads we're gonna give something away uh we're gonna come up with some something 
because the YRR is at a crossroads. Which way? Which way, modern YRR guy, Bob Thune, Jim the moderator, or Andrew Wilson? Which way are we going to go? The audio of this podcast and debate was edited slightly for time. The unedited reaction can be found on the Restless YouTube channel. This is a fair use, good faith reaction. I would know since I am deep fake Pastor Mark.